You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Deepening Presence. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions from a live audience on a wide range of topics like, what's the function of the ego? How does it feel to be enlightened? And what's the best remedy for loneliness and the pain body? Eckhart responds with his renowned wisdom. He says, the best motivation for liberation is the desire to stop suffering. All of life's events can lead to that. My question is around the ego, and is there any, we all have one, and that's, I have to believe that the world comes from perfection, and so is there a positive role, because we do a lot of talking about making it go away. Yes, thank you, good question. The ego is, has been absolutely a necessary part of the evolution of human consciousness. Also, we need to be aware, before I talk more about that, when we talk of ego, not to confuse ego with what I call form identity. Everybody has a form identity, which means you have a physical form and you have a psychological form, the, the person the makeup of that person on the, side, on the level of the, the mind and the emotions. And the psychological form of you and the physical form of you have their place and must not be confused with ego. So to look after the form of you and to acknowledge and honor it and even improve it is a good thing. You can improve your physical form by exercise and right nutrition. You can improve your psychological form by acquiring new experiences, more knowledge, learning new things. That's all part of your form identity. As form identity also, you are not complete yet as form identity, there are many possibilities. There are many things you can still do, unless you are 100 years old, in which case, well, you're returning. You no longer need to do much. As the older you get, the more you go into the, into the being. But in the meantime, some form is still there. As you get very old, the form begins to fade, and then more and more essence, you're more and more just essence. So to acknowledge your own form, and that remains. It does not mean when the ego subsides... Oh, sorry. What is the difference between your form identity and the ego? Very simple. Ego means complete identification with your form identity. So that means you only know yourself as the physical vehicle, which may be 
good-looking, not good-looking, fat, too thin, too fat, whatever, great, just right, better than anybody else's, or whatever, or getting old, I don't want to look in the mirror anymore, whatever. <laughs> There's the physical form, there is the mental and emotional form of you, complete identification with your form identity means ego. So it's important when one speaks of ego to define what one means by ego. And sometimes people have discussions about ego. One person means something else by that word and the other person means something very different. So it's very important to us to know how, in what sense, we use the word ego. Now, when I say complete identification with form identity, what does identification mean? It identification means you derive your sense of self from, exclusively from the form of you, exclusively from body appearance and abilities and so on, and mind and emotion, knowledge, achievements, ability to do, all the things we've been talking about, form identity. And that is something that was unavoidable, as unavoidable as the human consciousness has been growing for thousands of years. The ability to think grew more and more, and that's an incredible thing. It was an incredible evolutionary development, the ability to create, to create a consciousness, to create thought. What then happened was that humans who, before the arising of thought, humans lived in a state of connectedness with being, the oneness. And then very, very gradually, they began to think very gradually. And even when they began to think, that wasn't a problem yet. That was a, a wondrous thing. There are some anthropologists, and I believe they are correct, who say that when humans first began to think, which is of course linked with the ar arising of language, a lot of thinking is words in your mind, the arising of language came, and then as language formed more and more, the ability to think grew more and more. And some anthropologists say, and I believe they are correct, the first humans in those times when the thinking arose, they believed that gods were talking to them because they heard these voices in their head. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So they interpreted their thought processes as messages from God, or one God of many, one of many gods. So they might say, now go there and kill those people in that village, maybe. But perhaps they were not yet 
they had not yet arrived at that state where they felt the need to kill people in the neighboring village, which arose later when they began to identify more and more with the thinking structures in their mind and a collective ego developed before a personal ego developed. A personal ego is a later stage of development. So think the ability to think arose and gradually it grew more and more and their consciousness got drawn more and more into mind, into thought. Gradually they lost that, that sense of rootedness in being gradually. And that was the beginning stages of the ego forming. And this is the reason I would say is why in many civilizations and ancient cultures there is a, an ancient myth in many parts of the world called by different names. And that ancient myth is called the Golden Age. And that tells the story there was once a long time ago in the distant past, there was a time when humans were happy when things were well, life was easy. And for thousands of years, people have been telling that, that story that of this, these ancient times. And those were the times, the pre-egoic stage of human consciousness, when there was that connectedness. And that's where animals still live too, in that rootedness in being, before any self-image arose created by thought. But we had to go through that. It is in order to reach another level of consciousness, another evolutionary level, in order to go deeper, often you have to, to lose something that you originally, or seemingly lose something you originally had. And when you regain it, and that is the connectedness with being, when you regain it after losing it, you have it at a much deeper level. So the golden age that, that actually, I believe that myth has a reality to it. There was such a thing a long time ago that in ancient myth is called the golden age. That can and is destined to return, but not in the same way that it was then. The return of the golden age means conscious realization of being and then that is when, as the ego then dissolves. It was a necessary part of that development of human consciousness. Ego dissolving does not mean that you no longer have a form identity or do not honor your form identity. It simply means that you derive your sense of who you are no longer from anything that constitutes your form. And so the egoic stage that we are, have arrived at now is an end stage. And that means as the ego approaches the transition and begins to dissolve, not form identity, that's fine, that's there, but ego as identification with form begins to is destined to dissolve. It has been an evolutionary stage an evolutionary development in consciousness, but in the same way that a, the, the caterpillar, just before it metamorphoses into a butterfly, experiences life becoming more and more difficult as a caterpillar. 
and something seems to be going very wrong for the life of the caterpillar before the butterfly comes out. Oh, if the butterfly could, the caterpillar could speak, it would say, I can't stand this anymore. Life is so hard. Why is it so hard? Because you are supposed to give birth to something totally different, which is you also, but in a totally different manifestation. And so at some point, the caterpillar dissolves or changes into Wow! What an incredible metamorphosis, the most miraculous thing. And so the, the human ego is at a stage now where the it becomes more and more dysfunctional. And this started a, quite a while ago. It becomes more and more dysfunctional in a dangerous way because of the advances that the mind has, has progressed more and more, the ability to of analytical thinking, science came in, science is the applied use of mind, grown and grown and grown. There hasn't yet, we're lagging behind in the growth of consciousness. It has to catch up with the incredible advances in technology and science, the growth of consciousness lagging behind, and if the egoic state continues for much longer, it creates more and more havoc on the planet because a, a dysfunctional ego without technology can create a certain amount of havoc, but not that much, with a sword or throwing stones. But the more technology develops, the more dangerously dysfunctional the ego becomes in its attempt to have enemies, to fight its enemies, it needs its enemies, always can't do without that, both on a personal level and on a collective level, creating enormous amount of unnecessary conflict, if you really look into it, unnecessary. So we need and we continue to have a form identity, yes. The only thing that changes is we don't derive our identity from it anymore, and so the way in which we as a form identity operate in this world becomes very different from the way in which somebody operates who identifies with their form identity. So that is the transition. There are also there are ancient stories about this need to lose something in order to regain it at a deeper level, including in the Gospels, there's this, the narrative, it's called the prodigal son. The prodigal son has everything. He's the son of a wealthy father. This is a parable. He is the son of a wealthy father. He has everything. And then he says to the father, give me my inheritance. I'm going to, going to go away and experience life in a different way. I want to be independent. I don't want to, want to be part of this. I want my own life. And the father says, yes. The son goes off into foreign countries and gradually, by the way, there are other versions of it, it's an ancient story, but gradually he squanders his wealth and not only that, he doesn't even remember who he is anymore. And at some point, the father sends messengers and the messengers finally find him and they tell him, don't you know who you are? Uh, 
not really, I uh, can't remember, and he's become poor by then. And then they remind him who he is, and then there's a return journey. He goes back to his father's home, and when he returns home, his father loves him more deeply. That little thing in the parable points to the fact that when you return and regain what is lost, paradise lost, paradise regained. When you regain what you have lost, there is a greater, deeper consciousness to it. It's a totally different dimension of the same thing. Which, so that's a wonderful realization. So as this is the path of humanity, we had to go through the ego stage because that's how the ability to think was inseparable from that. And it became so powerful, the ability to think, that it absorbed all our consciousness. And the, the power to think will remain, but we will not be dominated by thought. We will not be trapped in thought. In fact, what thought can do once it's no longer egoic is wonderful. It can create and manifest incredible things. So the answer to your question is the ego has been a necessary development in the evolution of consciousness. It's coming to its final stage now, but it's not to be confused with who we are on the level of form. To be enlightened, how does it feel like? <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> I mean, I need to know what I'm doing. I think I have to go through the mental process of understanding this. What will I get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> the motivation to seek enlightenment or can be of various kinds. Some work better than others. There's a danger that uh, the search for enlightenment is ego-motivated. That can easily happen. The ego feels a sense, which is quite normal, of lack or dissatisfaction with the things it either the things it has or the things it has already achieved and didn't fulfill it, and then it went on to something else, and that wasn't quite that fulfilling either. And then it reads or hears something about the possibility of achieving a state of enlightenment. Well, that sounds much better than all the things I've been looking for so far, because those things haven't satisfied me, so I'm going to go for that. And then, the ego creates, of course, a, a goal. I want to reach that goal. In the same way that before, it created other goals that it either reached or did not reach. Either way, it wasn't satisfying. You, you might have heard the saying, there are two ways of being unhappy. One is not getting what you want. The other is getting what you want. That's when the ego operates, that's the case. <laughs> so, it either it achieved already what it wanted and it didn't satisfy it, or it 
it couldn't achieve it in not looking for something else that maybe it could achieve. And enlightenment seems a good option because the Ferrari, that didn't satisfy me, and then I tried the Lamborghini and that didn't satisfy me. <laughs> and then I tried whatever else didn't satisfy me. But enlightenment, that's it, I want to go for that. And then of course it wants to know, okay, but what exactly does that mean? I want to know what I'm striving towards because it might be the wrong thing. Maybe I, when I achieve it, I won't be there anymore. Or maybe the only way to achieve it is for me to dissolve. <laughs> I don't know if I want it anymore. I think I'm going to ask Eka that question. <laughs> <laughs> What I can tell you, in addition to what I've already said, is enlightenment will not satisfy your ego. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Ego needs to be recognized as an illusion, an ultimate fiction in your mind for something else to emerge. And in that sense, one can say, nobody actually becomes enlightened. You don't become enlightened. But when you get out of the way, there it is. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So enlightenment is not something you can actually achieve. And... I have no feeling that, that I achieved anything or that I am enlightened. I said it feels good because just the present moment feels good, that's all I know. <laughs> so just even to make that claim I am enlightened is ultimately cannot be correct because who is saying that? Who is making that claim? So in ultimate terms, you cannot be enlightened. But if you, the person, recognize its ephemeral nature and you no longer see your sense of self there, then something else is suddenly there that has always been there, but you just didn't know it. It was obscured. It was continuously overlooked. The presence of consciousness was continuously overlooked in every experience. You could have been conscious of it at any moment but it was overlooked because the hypnotic nature of the sensory world and especially of, of the mind was so overpowering that you overlooked something more essential in you that has always been there, is always there, will always be there. And therefore, if the motivation to seek so-called enlightenment comes from that place of seeking a, some permanent fulfillment, then it's not going to work. And there are spiritual practitioners 
without knowing it, they spend years and years looking for that thing and they're mentally projected into this place called future, which by the way only exists as a thought but has no reality as such. There is no future ex except as a thought in your head. Nobody has seen future, touched it, been there. You can't, it's not there. Life is now, always. There is no future. So if you seek a future state, it's misleading. And if you seek enlightenment in the future, that very search is the obstacle. So there can be another motivation for seeking enlightenment, but then I would suggest a different word for it, and not enlightenment, but liberation. And that motivation can be not to find some greater fulfillment, but that motivation can be to be, become free of suffering. So that can be another motivation for seeking enlightenment, but although I would prefer the term liberation here, or in Christian terminology, a related word that's used in Christian terminology is salvation. So if, if the suffering in your life gets too much, and then realizing that there is a way beyond suffering and wanting to know more about that, that is a better motivation for, for finding liberation than seeing what, what can I get out of it when I finally get enlightened. And of course the answer is, the one that's asking that question won't be even there to experience it. <laughs> I want to speak about like loneliness and pain body because since two years I'm traveling alone trying to like you, like doing nothing. <laughs> try. That's a good try, yeah. And, uh, and then I have difficulty to uh, accept this nothingness, so then I spend time on devices, on Facebook, and then the pain body arrives, and then sometimes I see the world like if it doesn't exist, and that other people are like robots, so it's a lot of suffering, and I don't know how to overcome this kind of feeling. So you've been traveling for a couple of years? Yeah, like one year and a half, I start with India, and then I'm, now I'm following you because I went to Norway, New York, <laughs> Costa Rica. Okay. And you're not running out of money yet? <laughs> oh. The universe gives me what I need. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's a good sign. But it's about like the, the disconnection with the world when I am alone and with devices. Yes, you're, you're not in a relationship at present and you haven't been for the past two years and the relationship has not arisen or do you on purpose avoid entering relationship? Well, whatever it is, learning to be with yourself, at ease with yourself. Loneliness can be a great thing when it comes transformed through acceptance into solitude. Solitude is only arises when you accept your aloneness, become completely present, and suddenly you sense your own presence which does not need anything, is already complete. Which is not to say that at the level of your form, there may not be a need 
for some company, whether it's physical or emotional or mental or altogether, on the level of form, you will continue to experience certain pulls and certain needs. On the level of form, if you have no relationship, you may feel that sense of needing something to complete you on the level of form to some extent. That's not a problem if you are rooted in your essence. You can be aware that on the level of form there are still there are certain needs. And these needs may be met at some point, or right now they may not be met. And that no longer matters that much. It is only of relative importance whether you have a relationship or you don't have a relationship. On the deepest level, you don't need it. On a slightly up, on a form level, you're not complete. There's masculine, there's the polarities of yin and yang, not necessarily always related to the biological masculine, feminine, but you are either, if you are yin, you need some yang, if you are more yang, you need some yin, and that's, that operates on the level of opposites and of form. It may be advisable for you to engage in some kind of activity so that you can not only practice presence by doing nothing, because I, it was never my decision when it happened to me, it was not my decision to do nothing for a couple of years or so. By the way, I'm still good at doing nothing, but, <laughs> but it wasn't my decision to do nothing in order to achieve some state. The doing nothing arose because already I was so deeply immersed in presence that I had lost the balance as a human being. I had lost the balance between human and being. I love that word human being. The English language doesn't have a word for man and woman, like German has mensch, which is the word for human being. But in English you have to use two words. But there's the human part of you, that's the form. There's the being you of you, that's the essence. Ultimately, everybody needs to be in some kind of balance between those two. I was immersed in being so deeply that I lost the balance. I wasn't unhappy about that at all, but I lost the balance between the human. The human became so unimportant to me that I didn't do anything to even I knew, what am I supposed to do with my life? Even that didn't arise, that thought. It was so delicious, delightful to be immersed in being. And that's how the, this period of complete, not, not complete, there was some activity because I had to occasionally get little jobs to survive. And occasionally people gave me money, but I did have temporary jobs to survive, so that I was forced occasionally to come out a little bit out of the being. But I didn't last in any job for very long. The moment I had enough money, I would stop again. So I got temporary jobs at various places. For two weeks, I worked at the Kennel Club in London, filling out forms of puppies that had just been born of different dogs. <laughs> the Fortunately, they had no computers at that time yet because that would have been beyond me. So there was just the bliss of being was 
so, so all-consuming that the balance between the human and the being was lost. And then it only began to re-establish itself when people started coming to me and asking me questions. And the question pulled me out of the being because an answer was required, but the answer came from the being. So when I started answering questions, suddenly there was a flow. And the answering of questions became my doing. <laughs> so that's how the balance got re-established slowly. I would not necessarily seek inactivity as a way of achieving a kind of presence. It is sometimes easier to engage in some activity and even engage in relationships and see if you can stay present there. But, but it all comes back to really the present moment. Whatever it is, wherever you are, wherever you are, is there enough intensity in you not to be drawn into mind for long periods of time? Is there enough intensity in you to stay present in that state of aloneness so that you can be the consciousness rather than the person? You are the consciousness. And it could be a great opportunity that you're able to do that, to just travel and explore. But you already went to India. You did not find what you were seeking, perhaps. And then you came to Eckhart. And there you did not find what you were seeking, perhaps. And the only place where you can find what you're seeking is within you in the present moment, doesn't matter where you are. So intensity of presence is important to cut through mind. Are you motivated enough to have that intensity of presence? And it could well be that there's not enough suffering in your life to provide the motivation. So that is a possibility, but that's not a problem because It'll come. If <laughs> My sense is that right now it's just too easy for you. It's too easy. So the, the suffering is, I mentioned before, the best motivation for liberation is the desire to escape from suffering or realizing the possibility that is possible to be free of suffering. And that's why the Buddha chose that term to describe his teaching, which is very, very wise. What's my teaching about? The Buddha said, I'll tell you what it is about. It's not about enlightenment. It's not about achieving God realization. It's not about that, the end of suffering. So it seems that he attracted mostly people who were at that stage where that meant something to them. I, I don't know if you are at that stage where the end of suffering means enough to you to provide the intensity for awakening. I was suffering, that was the motivation. I didn't have, even have a name for awakening. The wonderful news though is, life always gives you what you need. And it could well be that if you continue your life in this way, the way in which you live will create more and more suffering. Perhaps the loneliness will become unbearable. 
And so and then the suffering of the loneliness might drive you into a relationship. And then something may go wrong in the relationship. And then the, re <laughs> and then the relationship will become unbearable. <laughs> and then you will seek out another situation and something will go wrong there. And then that will become unbearable. And then suddenly you will want to be free of suffering. And there you have the motivation. So whether you carry on the way you are now, fine. Life will give you what, give you what you need. Or if you think, okay, I'll try a relationship, great too. You will find the necessary suffering to, <laughs> to get you there. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. <laughs>